It's been nearly a month since the Seahawks initiated a blockbuster trade sending Russell Wilson to the Broncos. What does Seattle need to do to be able to win this trade in the long run? I'm going to be breaking it down on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Happy Blue Friday 12. This is Corbin Smith for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Want to give a quick shout out to all of our listeners for making March the most successful month that we have ever had. More than 130,000 downloads in the month of March. We greatly appreciate the support from each and every one of you. Also want to give a quick shout out to Noah Lucas, the son of actor Josh Lucas, who apparently is a regular listener of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Thanks to Josh for giving us a name drop on the Rich Eisen podcast yesterday. Again, we greatly appreciate it. And if Noah, you want to come on at any point and start preparing to take over for John Schneider someday, we'd love to hear your thoughts on what the Seahawks need to do with their roster moving into the post-Russell Wilson era. Anyway, for today's Blue Friday episode, jam-packed podcast coming your way. I'm going to be revisiting that trade, sending Russell Wilson to the Broncos and what the Seahawks need to do in the long run to win that trade. Plus, I'll be investigating some receiver options for the Seahawks heading into the 2022 NFL draft. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. We've kind of reached that mid-ground in the NFL offseason. Free agency almost a month old. The draft now less than a month away. Free agency is starting to slow down to a little bit of a lull. So, of course, on April 1st, the NFL decided to announce all 32 teams' offseason program dates. The Seahawks, because they have Pete Carroll coming back, they don't have a new head coach. They will be one of the teams that starts later this month. Their first day scheduled for their offseason program is April 19th. Now, that's the start of phase one, and that is a two-week-long phase where teams can't do on-field work. Players are only allowed to work with coaches in meetings, so you won't be catching them outside on the field doing anything. But those first two weeks mainly is about strength, conditioning, doing some meetings, getting to work on plays in the meeting rooms, having physicals for injured players, things like that. Not going to be any on-field work. Now, May 3rd gets here. That's when things start to heat up a little bit, and all the teams will be going into Phase 2 the Seahawks at that point will be allowed to start doing some independent stuff on the field with players. And they'll also be able to do some offense versus offense and defense versus defense team drills. So you won't be seeing Drew Locke going up against Jamal Adams in the defense. That's not going to be happening during this particular phase, but you'll see some work with plays in walkthrough mode, offensive players getting to go against offensive players and vice versa with the defense. And so start to ramp things up a little bit, continue the conditioning and strength training, continue to do meetings with coaches. And then on May 23rd, that's when OTAs kick off for the Seahawks. Every team is allowed up to 10 OTA practices. Looking at the official schedule coming out today from the NFL, the Seahawks are going to scatter their OTAs. There have been years where they've really pieced them together a little bit tighter than this, but they're spreading them out some. That might be to get more veterans to want to take part because last year, 12s may remember, 
the Seahawks didn't have most of their veterans there for the beginning of OTAs and eventually Russell Wilson and those guys showed up, but a lot of players weren't wanting to come in after not having OTAs in 2020 due to the COVID-19 pandemic. They liked not having those workouts during the off season. And Carol's talked about it recently that he'd like to get more players out on the field in the off season. And they tested it out last year, you know, see what they could do with more abbreviated off season work. And I don't know that necessarily had anything to do with the fact they went seven and 10, but I think that he's going to go into this off season based on what he said, viewing this with a bit more importance, especially now that you have a younger team, you don't have Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner might not have Dwayne Brown coming back. A lot of your veterans are not going to be there. So you are going to need this time to work with all these new pieces that are going to be on your roster, including at the quarterback position. So I'm anticipating that those dates, May 23rd, May 25th and 26th, May 31st, June 2nd and 3rd, and then June 6th through 9th. I am expecting that you are going to see most veterans attending those OTAs, at least the majority of them, because you're coming off a disappointing season, especially on the defensive side of the ball. You've got some new coordinators, some new coaches that are in place. So those are going to be important practice sessions, even if it's just for the walkthrough experience and getting some chemistry built with your new teammates, some of the changes the Seahawks have had in their roster I'm expecting that this is going to be much more emphasized this year than it was last year. And so that third phase is four weeks. The Seahawks do have a mandatory minicamp that is scheduled for June 14th through 16th. We'll see how that ends up panning out. I know that Pete Carroll made some changes to that last year to make it less rigorous for the players. I don't know, again, with the setup of the roster where the Seahawks are heading, if that's the way they are going to handle it this year. But Get an idea now what this offseason is going to look like for the Seahawks. And again, I think this is an especially important process. And, you know, the Seahawks for a number of years, they've had their established quarterback. They've had their quarterback on defense and Bobby Wagner. And even with some of the changes they've had in the secondary, players like Quandre Diggs that were veterans that had already been through the rigors of the league for several years, Jamal Adams, those guys didn't necessarily need these reps in OTAs. Your rookies took great advantage last year with all the reps that they got, but this is going to be a team that's got a lot of turnover on both sides of the football at some critical positions. You've got coaching changes. So again, I think that this is going to be a very important offseason program. The one thing that we don't know at this point, the Seahawks will have their annual rookie minicamp. It's going to be one of the first two weekends after the 2022 NFL drafts. So one of those first two weekends in the month of May. At this point, the NFL is not revealed when those mini camps are going to be going on. I would actually expect that the teams themselves are going to be the ones that release that information. So based on past precedent, the Seahawks have typically done their rookie mini camp pretty quickly after the draft. I believe last year they did it the second weekend after the draft, though. There have been times they've done it the weekend right after. Uh, so who knows? Who knows what the idea is going to be here? The Seahawks have done it both ways. So we'll see what happens on that front. But I think this is going to be an especially important offseason when you just look at all the turnover on the roster and there's going to be all these incoming rookies. They could have 9, 10, 11 incoming draft picks if John Schneider does what he's done in the past and trades down several times. They could also end up with only six or seven if they decide to move back up into the first round to get another marquee player. There's a lot of different things that can happen. But nonetheless, those rookies, those rookie mini camps and all of those OTA practices are critical for those rookies to get – and, you know, hit the ground running in their first season. And I think it's going to be important for the veterans to show up this year. 
even if you have Dwayne Brown and some guys like that come back, I mean, this is going to be a roster with a lot of new faces. And I just think that the on-field work is going to be especially important for this team. As if Pete Carroll said, they're going to be going into this thinking they can compete. That it's going to be really important for them to have a fast start in OTAs, get some of that chemistry going with these new players, these new coaches. And so we'll see what happens Russell Wilson, it's been almost a month since he was traded to the Denver Broncos. We've talked a lot about what that means for both franchises, but going to take a step further back now that it's been several weeks since he had his press conference introducing himself to his new team in Denver. Going to take a look back at what the Seahawks need to do to make this a worthwhile trade. I don't know if you want to call it a win necessarily, but how they can make this trade work out for the franchise in the short and long term. I'm going to be diving in here in a moment. After months of playing, college basketball has determined the top teams for the Final Four and will determine this year's national champion this upcoming weekend. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. For all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it, BetOnline remains the best spot for all of your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sporting wagering informational needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. We even got the start of the 2022 Major League season coming up in baseball as well. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast as well. We've got experts covering all 32 teams, providing insight and analysis that's available on audio form on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and all major platforms, as well as five days a week streaming live on YouTube. So make sure to check it out. That's the Locked On NFL podcast. It's been close to a month since the news broke. The Seahawks were finally going to do it. They were going to move Russell Wilson. It had been rumored for a couple seasons. There had been rumors before then the Seahawks were exploring the possibility, but nobody really thought that number three was going to be anywhere but Seattle. That changed on March 8th with the Seahawks deciding in principle at that time to trade Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos along with a fourth round pick. And in return, they got a pair of first rounders, a pair of second rounders, a fifth round pick, and three veteran players, Drew Locke, Shelby Harris, and Noah Fant. There were plenty of people out there that were looking at this trade at the time that it happened saying, is that enough for a guy that's been a nine-time Pro Bowler, has been a second-team All-Pro selection? He's the best quarterback in franchise history. He's 33, so he's still a fairly young quarterback. But when you consider the haul, the fact that they are getting four premium picks in the first and second round over the next two years, and they're getting three guys, you could maybe say two at this point, that you know are going to be able to contribute for you next year. Shelby Harris and Noah Fant have been solid players for the Denver Broncos for the last several years. Drew Locke had his moments in his rookie season, and then the last two years has really been a struggle. But the Seahawks, they've really been selling the idea that Drew Locke can still be a franchise quarterback. At least that's the way they've been handling this from a perception standpoint publicly, what Pete Carroll and John Schneider have said. But overall, when you look at the terms of the trade, I think the Seahawks did pretty well, especially when you consider what the Browns had to give up to get Deshaun Watson. There were other, obviously other things going on behind the scenes there with Deshaun Watson's legal issues. But 
The Texans got three first-round picks. Didn't get as much ammo aside from that, though. They didn't get the veteran players on top of the picks. So it feels like, at least from that standpoint, Seattle had a better opportunity presented to them. And that was, as, B, as Pete Carroll said, it was a business opportunity that they couldn't pass up at that point. They knew Russell Wilson didn't want to be in Seattle anymore. They probably were tired of the distraction at this point. Both sides, I truly believe that this ended up being a mutual separation. Maybe the Seahawks held on longer than what Russell Wilson did, but they reached a point where they realized, you know what, this is where we're going to get maximum value. If we wait till next year when he's entering the final year of his contract, we are not going to get a return that's near this good. So they decided to pull the trigger. And now the emphasis is going to be on trying to take advantage of all those draft picks. So let's talk about what the Seahawks need to do to win this trade. Right now, this looks like a very lopsided deal. You just traded away the best quarterback in franchise history, a guy that owns every major record. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. He is Canton Bound, one of the best quarterbacks of this era. Might not have the all-pro selections, but he led the Seahawks to a Super Bowl victory within minutes of a second straight Super Bowl victory, consistently got Seattle to the playoffs, didn't throw a lot of interceptions, He's in the top 15 all-time in passing touchdowns. I mean, this guy was remarkable. So trading him when he still probably got a ton of great football left in him and not being able to make things work out, obviously the perception publicly is going to be the Seahawks just put themselves in quarterback purgatory. And probably from a competition standpoint, it's going to be a while until they are going to be able to contend. So what needs to be done to change that narrative it's not something that's going to happen overnight. If they would have made a trade for Deshaun Watson, swapping a lot of the picks that they got from the Denver Broncos for Russell Wilson, and they were able to bring in another franchise quarterback, you know, maybe Baker Mayfield could still come to town as well, and maybe they would view him as a long-term answer. But without a move being made like that, this is going to be a trade that is going to have to be viewed from a long-term perspective to really know who wins. Now, if Denver goes and gets a Super Bowl quickly, then we know that they won this trade. But how can Seattle make the most of a difficult situation, giving up their franchise quarterback and now being put into the unknown? Here's some of the steps that I think stand out. When you look at what the Seahawks have to do to win this trade, first and foremost, as I just mentioned, you got to find yourself a long-term franchise quarterback, whether that's through the draft. It could be this year. It could be next year. Next year, they're going to have two first-round picks at their disposal, and one of those might be high. If they do not win a lot of games this season, if Drew Locke struggles or whoever the quarterback is this year struggles, and they end up with a top-five pick, that could put them in position to get Bryce Young or one of those other really good quarterbacks that's going to be in that 2023 class that is viewed by many as much better than this year's draft class. There certainly are some names in this draft class. Rob Rang and I have talked about on, on numerous episodes. Kenny Pickett. You've got Desmond Ritter. Sam Howell. You've got your stud Malik Willis out of Liberty that maybe has the most upside of this group. There are some intriguing quarterbacks. Even though this is not a class that's getting a lot of pub at that position, there are some guys that I still believe in the right situation with right coaching could be quality NFL quarterbacks. So they've got those options as far as drafting players. Maybe they're still looking into some possible trades out there. I know several of you have inquired about Lamar Jackson. I don't see any way that that's going to happen. Although if Jackson doesn't sign an extension soon and it starts to look like maybe he's hesitant about staying in Baltimore, again, I don't think that's what's going on there. But 
that could become a possibility down the road that the Seahawks could try to trade a bunch of draft picks to get a quarterback that's still really young, was an MVP a couple years ago. But right now, I would think the draft's the way that they're going. Of course, Baker Mayfield, they could trade for a guy like Gardner Minshew. It just doesn't look like at this point that's what they're going to do. But regardless of whatever their path is, if they are not able to get a quality quarterback in the next couple of years, then this trade is going to blow up in their face. You have got to make this deal understanding that we're going to have to figure out the most important position in pro sports. And if they're not able to do it, and we end up in another 1990 situation where you're rotating through Dan McGuire's and Rick Myers at quarterback, there's going to be some really lean years for this franchise. So that is first and foremost, you could say that's step one, step two, step three. They got to figure out the quarterback position. There's obviously more to it though. If you want to be able to win this particular trade, You've got to hit on at least two of the three high picks that you acquired in this trade. So number nine, I think there's more weight on for this year. Maybe they trade down and get some extra picks with it. Whatever they choose to do, they need to get some marquee talent. They have not picked in the top 10 since John Schneider's first year that he was general manager back in 2010. So you've got to get a difference maker at a key position. To me, Left tackle would be the first one that jumps out. Even if Dwayne Brown's back this year, he is not your long-term guy. He's going to be 37. You need a left tackle. Maybe Stone Forsythe, maybe Stone Forsythe is still in your plans. But you've got to have a left tackle that you can put into that blindside protecting role long-term. You've got some players like Charles Cross that might be there at number nine. Edge rusher, I think this is a really deep edge rushing, edge rushing class. Maybe somebody like Kayvon Thibodeau will fall into their lap at number nine. But even if that's not the case, I think this is a draft class where you can get premium quarterback hunters in the second, third round, even into early day three. There's some really good depth at that position. A couple other spots that jump out to me, linebacker and center. you got to find your long-term replacement for Bobby Wagner. Maybe you believe that's Cody Barton, but this is a draft class that's got some pretty good linebacker talent. And center, Austin Blythe's on a one-year deal. He's on a prove-it deal after not playing much for the Chiefs last year. Maybe you believe he's your long-term guy. But I think that that would be another position. If you have the right player available to you in the middle rounds, I think that's a position that has more depth than people are realizing. I think there's some pretty good center talent. You could find some starter caliber players late on day two going into day three. And of course, if DK Metcalf gets put in the market, which is still being speculated, then maybe we could throw a receiver in there. I'll be talking receivers more here later in the episode. But those are the positions you should be looking at. They've got to figure out the left tackle spot. They need to figure out what they are going to do with the pass rushing situation and add another dynamic rusher to go with Daryl Taylor and Uchenna Nuosu, who they signed for the Chargers this offseason. Those, to me, are the top two. Go get yourself some cornerback help as well. This is a very good cornerback class, as we broke down on Wednesday's episode. So, those are the top three that they have got to address here over the next couple of years. You're going to have your two first-round picks next year. That's where you probably can get your quarterback if you don't make that move this year. But away from the QB position, they've got some other really important spots that they are going to have to figure out. And that leads me into my third point. You're only going to have so many draft picks, so you got to take advantage of the cap space. Russell Wilson's contract is going to be off the books after this year. You've got a $26 million dead cap hit this season. You're not going to have that problem next year. You are going to have to be able to take advantage of all that cap space that's at your disposal, particularly if you've got a rookie quarterback under contract. Everybody knows what it looked like when Russell Wilson came into the league, and 
He was a third round pick. So this guy was making peanuts the first four years that he was in the league. And how much that helps with the team building cannot be understated. They don't go out and get guys like Cliff Averill and Michael Bennett in free agency if they've got a higher priced quarterback on the roster. They wouldn't have been able to afford to do it. That is a luxury that they have not had for a long time. So if you can have a good young quarterback that you can build the roster around, you can go out and you can make some big signings in free agency to really stock up all the other positions to provide the best support for that young quarterback. You give that QB the best chance to succeed, and you give your team a four-year window to try to get back to the Super Bowl before that quarterback probably is going to get paid. And so that window is going to start as soon as they get that young quarterback into town, whether that's later this month or they wait till next year to go out and get that young quarterback. Once that guy's in, they've got to be able to capitalize on the cap space they've got without Russell Wilson on the roster and go put premium talent at important positions around him. And last but not least, at least one of the players that you get back in return of this trade needs to become a star. Now, I'm not going to put Shelby Harris here because Shelby Harris is 31. He is a very good defensive lineman. He probably has a few more good seasons left in him. I like the addition in the short term, but for this trade to really be a win for the Seahawks, if you can get that quarterback of the future, you can hit on some of these picks. You can take advantage of the cap space you've got and add some talent free agency. If a guy like Noah Fant, to me, he's the most likely of these three players to become a star. He's 24 years old. He is still a puppy. This is a guy at 250 pounds that ran a 4-5 40-yard dash coming out of Iowa, nearly jumped out of the stadium, a 39.5-inch vertical, a 6.81-second three-cone at that time. This guy is a freak athlete. He can create yards after the catch with his speed. He can stretch the field. Denver didn't necessarily use him to the best of its ability. They had quarterback issues, which is ironic because Drew Locke was probably the most successful QB throwing to him the last three years that they were together. And Drew Locke got benched last year. So they're going to get a chance to fix that this season in Seattle, and maybe the change of scenery will help both of them. But Noah Fant has been a productive tight end. I feel like he can be much more productive than what he's shown. This is a guy that's just scratching the surface of his potential. So if he becomes a star and you were able to hit on some of these picks, you get the quarterback situation figured out, you don't have to find the next Russell Wilson, but find a quality starter and you stock the cabinet around him with talented players, then the Seahawks can get right back to competing for division championships, playoff spots, and hopefully competing for a Lombardi trophy. You may have noticed, though, there's a lot of ifs when we're talking about the situation, because if they only do like two of the four here, maybe they're going to end up being a team that can hover around 500 or get to the playoffs, but I can't see them being a team that's going to do damage in the postseason. And so there's a lot riding on this trade for the future of the Seahawks, and there's a lot they're going to need to do to get out from under this rut where – you just traded your franchise quarterback, and there's so much uncertainty if you don't hit on the QB position. You're not able to check off some of these other boxes. It could be a very long next several years for Pete Carroll, John Schneider, whoever succeeds them. Inevitably, it's going to be a lean stretch. If you want to avoid that, there's a lot of what-ifs here they're going to have to check off. Zooming to the 2022 NFL Draft here in a moment, going to be breaking down some receivers the Seahawks could consider. Yes, they drafted a receiver high in last year's draft. They've still got DK Metcalf. They've got Tyler Lockett. But it seems like every year the Seahawks are drafting a receiver. So with them having eight picks, potentially more when it's all said and done, 
pretty good chance they're going to pick at least one in this draft. I'll be checking out several prospects from this year's class here in a moment. If you're like me and you're trying to stick with your New Year's resolution this year, you need to try Built Bar. Absolutely delicious. The best tasting protein bar on the market. 100% chocolate. I love the Built Bar Puffs. They're my favorite. They're like protein-infused marshmallows. Marshmallows on steroids. Really soft, delicious, awesome flavors like banana cream pie. I can eat three or four of them in one sitting. I try to eat one before I work out, and sometimes that's really difficult to do because of how tasty they are. There's also amazing flavors with regular Built Bars like peanut butter brownie, coconut, and orange cream. There's several other great flavors. They come up with new ones every single month. So make sure to check out Built.com and see what new flavors that they are cooking up. Under 200 calories, less than 5 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. These are way healthier than a candy bar, and they taste just as good. So I'm telling you, if you haven't tried Built Bar yet, make sure to order up a box of mixed bars. They are delicious. Go to Built.com and enter in the code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. That's Built.com. Enter in the code LOCK15 for 15% off on your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks have one of the best receiving cores in the NFL. That's been one area that has been sustained with all the big changes this offseason. DK Metcalf has been subject to trade rumors, whether those are correct or not. It's still being floated around out there that the Seahawks may consider moving him. But for now, he's happy in Seattle. He wants to take some of the leadership mantle from Russell Wilson and Bobby Wagner now departing. He wants to step up and rise to the occasion and take on a greater leadership role. Tyler Lockett just extended last year, so he's still on the roster. D. Eskridge, their second-round pick from a year ago, battled concussion issues early in the season. They still have very high hopes for him. And Freddie Swain had a very promising sophomore season for the Seahawks. So this is a very solid receiving core. With that being said, you can never have too many good receivers in this league. And this is another draft class that's got a lot of depth and a lot of talent at the position. So looking at this year's draft class, I'm not going to break down the first round candidates, guys like Drake London and Garrett Wilson, and Chris Olave from Ohio State. There's a number of receivers that I expect to go in the first round. I would be absolutely stunned if the Seahawks pick one. Now, if DK Metcalf gets traded before the draft, then that changes things. Receiver could absolutely be a position of need early. But I don't think at number nine, or even if they trade down, I don't envision the Seahawks picking a wide receiver. That said, I could see on day two with pick 40, pick 41, and pick number 72, You've got three picks on day two. You might have more than that if you trade down. I could see the Seahawks being aggressive then looking at receivers. A few names that immediately jump out to me. Traylon Burks from Arkansas. I actually think that he's probably a borderline first-round pick. There's plenty of mocks out there that he's been getting selected. We're talking about a guy that isn't quite DK Metcalf's build, but 6'3", around 215 pounds. Not a guy that's going to run a 4-3 like Metcalf did, but he's got good speed, and he's one of those guys that I think he runs faster with pads on than what he does if you're running a 40-yard dash. He's a playmaker. Last year for the Razorbacks, 66 receptions, over 1,100 yards, 11 touchdowns. He's also a guy that you can get involved in the run game. You can run quick screens to him. He can break tackles, create after the catch. 
And so I think Burks would be a very intriguing possibility for the Seahawks if he somehow fell into the second round. Having another big body receiver that can create after the catch wouldn't be a bad thing. If DK Metcalf gets traded, then I would think Burks, a player that met with the Seahawks at the Combine last month, would be very high on their big board. And so he's a name to keep an eye on if somehow he ends up falling because maybe he didn't test as well as people anticipated. This is a guy that's a playmaker, though, and he's got the size. He's got the toughness, big play ability. Then you have David Bell from Purdue, and I've got personal experience with David Bell. David Bell played at, at uh, played at Warren Central High School in Indianapolis. I coached running backs at Franklin Central High School in Indianapolis. We were not in the same conference, but I guess you could say I had the privilege of being on the other sideline when we played against David's team in sectionals several years back and just absolutely torched us. We tried everything to slow him down, and he had a monster game. And did not test well at the combine, had better numbers at Purdue's Pro Day. You look on film, and he definitely looks faster than the 46540 that he ran in Indianapolis. I expected a little better time than that, but he just plays faster on the field. A very smooth route runner, the ability to win over the top, really good in the short to intermediate game, good, tough, contested catch receiver as well. There's just so much to like about David Bell, and this guy's got great character as well. So if Seattle could get him with pick 40 or pick 41, if he somehow falls to pick 72, that would be one of the receivers that I would be willing to put in this roster. Because, again, a little bit bigger body receiver, not the same type of player as D. Eskridge, but if you could have another guy that's got 6'2", 205, 210-pound body that can win contested catches, can win downfield. You know that Pete Carroll would be excited about adding another receiver like that to the fold. Calvin Austin from Memphis, he's much more like D. Eskridge. This is kind of that small scat receiver that has track speed, but man, has he had prolific production. Over 1,100 yards last year, he had 11 receiving touchdowns during the 2020 season. This guy can take the top off of defense. There's special teams potential. You can get him involved in the run game. If that sounds like D. Eskridge, again, I see a lot of similarities between them. Maybe he's a little more polished version of D. Eskridge coming into the league. I'd be surprised if they copycat that much with another player that's similar unless they truly just didn't believe in D. Eskridge, which at least publicly that doesn't seem to be the case. But you can never have too much speed. So adding another player like Austin to the mix could make sense. I would see him as a guy that maybe pick 41 or pick 72 if he somehow falls. I think he goes in the second round, but he could be a player that makes sense to the Seahawks. Two other names to keep an eye on. Justin Ross from Clemson. Many of you may remember when Clemson won the national title with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, that Justin Ross was his number one target in many cases. They had some other good receivers on that team, but Justin Ross was a surefire first-round pick a couple years ago, and then he had surgery for a spinal issue, did not play at all in 2020. His numbers last year, nothing great. 46 receptions, 514 yards, and three touchdowns. But you have to remember, Clemson had kind of a down year by their standards, and the quarterback situation with Trevor Lawrence going to the league, it just wasn't very good, and they weren't able to get the football to him. He looked really good on film, though. The film I've been able to watch looked like the guy from early in his career that had 1,000-yard seasons and put up big numbers for the Tigers. I think that this is a guy that could be a late day two, early day three steal. Yes, the spinal surgery is something that's concerning, but if his medicals check out with the way that he looked last year, given a bad situation, a quarterback for Clemson, Justin Ross would be a player 
that would excite me. And we've talked a lot about Cincinnati players on this podcast. Desmond Ritter, Sauce Gardner. I'm going to bust out another one now. Alex Pierce, a six foot three receiver for the Bearcats, who doesn't look like he would be the most explosive athlete, but he ran in the low four fours, a four four one 40 yard dash of the combine. 40-inch vertical. I mean, this guy tested incredibly well. I don't know that you necessarily see that all the time on film from him. He doesn't have the greatest release, but when he gets up to top speed, he has the ability to win vertically. He's tough in the middle of the field. I don't know that he's going to be able to get uncovered in those short to intermediate routes at the next level, but he's going to offer you some big playability. He's ran some routes out of the slot at that size. I look at him as a boundary receiver in the NFL. He can play special teams. I think, you know, maybe 41, that's pushing it. But if you can get him in the third round or early fourth, Alex Pierce, again, he would cross off that big-bodied receiver they're looking for to complement DK Metcalf, also has blazing speed, can win downfield, has special teams ability. That would be a player that would be worth adding to this receiving core. As far as day three players to consider, a couple names that have jumped out to me. Khalil Shakir from Boise State is one that I have watched a number of times, and I will admit it, I am a Boise State fan. I've been rooting for them for a long time. And Shakir is one of the better receivers that they have had come out recently. Not great size, around six foot, maybe 190 pounds on a good day if he's had his Wheaties for breakfast. But this is a guy that's got good speed, quickness. He's a savvy route runner. He's going to have to show more willingness to block if he wants to play in Seattle. That might be something that checks him off their their, uh, big board. But he is certainly a player that I think would be a good fit from a receiving standpoint. And you could develop him along. I probably wouldn't take him until early day three. He might be a guy that sneaks into the end of day two. Then the Seahawks wouldn't have a chance at him. But to me, he's an early day three, mid-day three at latest type of player that has the upside to really help a receiving core. And two other names that I've added to my list here, Tyquan Thornton from Baylor. If you watch the Combine, he basically was the roadrunner off of the cartoon series. The dude ran in the four twos, blazing speed, Has some iffy tape at times, but this is a guy that that speed shows up on film. You can see the big play potential mid to late day three, absolutely worth a flyer because if you can develop his receiving and his route running skills to go with speed, you put him with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett and D. Eskridge. I don't know as a defense what you do to try to contain that many speedy weapons. So he would be a guy on day three. And one last player here, Velas Jones Jr. from Tennessee. He's going to be 25 when the season starts, so he is an older prospect. I am not picking him probably till the fifth or sixth round. He might go earlier because he's a dynamic playmaker, but if I was the Seahawks, I wouldn't draft him till then. But if he's available in midday three, this is a guy with great kick and punt return ability. He can run routes from the slot, not a very refined route runner, but he can break tackles. He can create after the catch. There's a lot of raw playmaking ability there. I think he'd be an instant contributor in special teams and over time could end up becoming a guy that you can find packages for him to come in on offense and he could do some fun things for the Seahawks as a fourth receiver. So Vellis Jones Jr. out of Tennessee would be another one to keep an eye on. There are several other intriguing guys. Again, a deep receiving class. The Seahawks have options if they want to add to DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Eskridge, and Swain, bring in another weapon for whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Drew Locke, outside free agent coming in or a rookie 
really bolster those weapons. They have a chance to do that with some value picks at the receiver position in the 2022 NFL Draft. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Make sure to check out the Locked On NFL Draft podcast hosted by Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker. The two of them do a great job dishing out analysis on players looking at team needs, prospects, you name it. They have it all covered five days a week. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and other major platforms. And they also stream five days a week on YouTube. You can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL and make sure to check out the Locked on Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, all those major platforms. And we are streaming five days a week on YouTube. When I return on Monday, Rob Rang and I are going to be reviewing several listener submitted mock drafts for our mock draft Monday segment. Did that last year. We're going to try to do that a little bit here leading up to the draft, which is now less than a month away. Enjoy your weekend. Thanks for listening in. Go Hawks.